May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So it, it has been a rough week in our nation. 31 people were murdered in back-to-back mass shootings. And we have seen images and heard the stories of death and pain. The acts of bravery in the cities of Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas. People risking their lives for others. Walmart employees risking their lives for strangers. Parents risking and losing their lives so that their children might live. We've seen the disruption and destruction of families in Mississippi with the community coming together to care for the children left behind, to make sure they were safe and that they were cared for. We've watched the news reports as the fight commences once again over weapons of war available to anyone who wants one or two along with all the bullets one could possibly want or need. We've heard about the real issues of immigration and families' lives that are being used to make political points and is only causing more pain and suffering. The fires of bigotry are being lit by those in position of power, labeling whole groups of people as less than, pushing us deeper into the darkness. And at times, the country seems to be tearing itself apart with ugly words of hate and bigotry and racism. And we cry, we can be better than this. I have felt out of step all week as if the world is just a little bit off kilter. And I don't know how I'm supposed to feel or how I'm even supposed to be. So I don't know how many of you have seen the Netflix series Stranger Things. And if you haven't, that's okay. It's a science fiction fantasy series where a group of kids save their town from this awful monster that originates from this place called the upside-down world. And the upside-down world looks exactly like their town looks, but it's an alternate universe, topsy-turvy, and everything about it is just a little bit off. It's twisted, it's dark, It's scary, and it's ugly. And the upside-down world is the image that I have carried with me all this week. A world that is scary and ugly, and I don't want to live there. And I want to cry. We can be so much better than this. And in the midst of all of this, this pain, I hear the words from Hebrews written for people who have grown weary, 
who are giving up, who are leaving God. They're leaving the church. They've endured suffering and sacrifices, and they see no end in sight. And we hear these words of loss and hope, exile and belonging. Abraham gazing at the night sky and by faith setting out with his wife Sarah, not knowing where he's even going. And in our gospel, we hear about the faithful waiting through the long nights for the master to return. These readings describe the lives of the faithful. They explore what faith looks like and feels like in this world that we are actually living in today. Faith is a verb. It's not a thing that you can hold on to. It's not an accomplishment or something you earn with right thinking. Faith is longing. Faith is hunger. It's a restless energy that calls us to see what is and what could be. Faith calls us to reach higher. Faith is the hope that we carry with us in the midst of darkness. That we can be better than this that we can do better than this. One writer says that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but complacency, apathy, resignation, and cynicism. The opposite of faith is falling asleep. It's pie-in-the-sky acceptance of the status quo. It's a refusal to embrace the holy restlessness as an incentive to work for a more just and loving world right here and right now. Faith calls us to see the pain and suffering for what it is, naming it, letting it tear us apart for a while, to weep, and then get up off that floor knowing that we have work to do. And I'll admit, this is where it becomes really hard for me. So this week I have been pinging back and forth between despair for this country and and just wanting to hop on a plane and go fix something. I wanted to go to El Paso or Dayton and I wanted to take care of patients. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to go to Mississippi and take care of those children. I just wanted to do something, something to make the pain go away. I know that I will vote and I'll call and I'll write my representatives, I'll stand up and I'll speak out in response to injustice and intolerance. But I still felt like it wasn't enough. I had to do something, anything, at the very least, yell at someone. But in the midst of all of this darkness and this stuff, I've also been blessed this week 
to talk to people, it made me realize that we are able to change the world one person at a time. We can do something. We can make a difference right here and right now. And we don't need to get on a plane. We just need to walk out those great doors, roll up our sleeves, and get to work. I spent a morning this week talking to one of our community partners, Caleb and his wife Stephanie from Aim Right Ministries. Both who are here today, and they're going to tell us about their work in the community and with our Garfield Partnership. We talked about all the work that is being done and what Trinity Cathedral and Aimright could do together, working with the children and families of, the Gar of Garfield Elementary to improve lives. We talked about our hopes and our dreams for expanding what we are doing, all with the goal of giving the children who live right down the street the help they need to thrive and grow. And then on Thursday, several of us toured Central Arizona Shelters, or CAS, the homeless shelter on 12th Avenue. We saw the services available and we talked to the staff. We talked to some of the people experiencing homelessness. We heard their stories. We shared their pain. And we came away with some real concrete ideas on how we can help folks there and how Trinity Cathedral can help right here and right now. And I'll bet that everybody in this room can tell your stories, your ideas of how we can make a difference in this crazy old world we live in. I left the homeless shelter realizing that while the horrors of the week were still on my heart and on my mind, I didn't feel so helpless. And I felt hopeful. And then this morning we hear these words of Jesus, do not be afraid. It is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All we have to do is journey toward it. Like Abraham and Sarah, who set out trusting God with the unseen and the unknown, they launched out with absolutely no promises, no guarantees. They didn't even know where they were going. The story of Abraham and Sarah invites us to be risk-takers, trusting a future we cannot see, but we are bound to pursue. The theologian Kelly Brown Douglas writes about this idea of a, a moral imagination. And moral imagination is grounded in the belief that the world can be better, that we can do better. A moral imagination envisions Isaiah's new heaven and a new earth where the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and trust that it will be made real. What is certain, a moral imagination disrupts this notion that the world as it is reflects what God intended for his creation. Moral imagination is the hope of faith. 
It's a recognition that the only way to change the realities of this world is to accept God's invitation to become a partner with God in repairing the world. That upside-down world, that place that is twisted and dark and ugly, it may be part of our world, but we don't have to live in it. We can choose to live as if the new heaven and the new earth are already right here and right now. Living, living into the fullness of God's creation, loving one another as we are so loved. The lamps are lit. The table is set. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you, give you the kingdom. Amen.